भगवते वासुदेवाय हरिबोल सो दॉपिक वी डिस्कसिंग टू नाइट is loneliness where not meant to be alone there is definitely in the developed world an epidemic of loneliness i really think it became kind of more pronounced during the covid lockdowns when <clears throat> all the governments were doing that thing <clears throat> that people really did begin to experience a deeper sense or experience of of isolation and and great loneliness the in the us and i'll just read here a 2018 study of 20000 adults found that half of americans felt alone or always alone and that those aged 18 to 22 felt far more lonely than those in the age of 72 and above so that was from 2018 in 2020 um harvard university did a study and reading here quote preliminary results of a harvard university study conducted in october 2020 found that 36% of Americans reported feeling seriously lonely 36 it's more more than 1 in 3 and among specific groups of people the number was even higher with 61% of participants aged 18 to 25 61 feeling seriously lonely and 51% of mothers with young children reported feeling frequently or almost always lonely of course the uk um they have opened in in the last 2 years i think it is in the last 2 years a they have a minister for loneliness so it's a ministerial position and they commit a lot of resources to to loneliness and its effects on people because they understand the impact that it has on national productivity and happiness etc so it's kind of like i i went online to 
look at, you know, some videos of on the subject just to see what was out there. And I came away with a feeling of tremendous sorrow and heartbreak at what people are, are going through. how people are so, in, in so many different walks of life, but in some communities it's worse than others. In middle America, the epidemic, which is also tied to massive rates of suicide, is amongst white middle-aged men. So, you know, and, and that's apparently that's grown 51% in the last few years, like three years or something. Whereas in, in communities of color, it was not, um, and other ethnic groups, it, you didn't see that level of, of growth. But listening to people talk, it is absolutely heartbreaking that someone can be confronted and experience such grave forms of, of loneliness where it, is, it becomes almost debilitating for, for some people. Um, about a week or so ago, I somebody sent me an email wanting to ask a question. And uh, it was somebody that I've communicated with in the past. And um, it, as part of the email, he sent me a little note about a new neighbor they have. They've moved to a, another city or town city, and um, in, uh, they've, when they settled in, he said, we bought a house and two doors down was a Punjabi Sikh couple with two kids. The woman, Mandeep, with sorrowful eyes, once begged my wife, Anna, in broken English, to be her friend because she had no friends. Of course, this guy's wife, you know, readily agreed and they've become good friends. But it's just like, it's, you know, you see it with little kids, the desire to be friends. When kids sort of like, when they see another group of children and it's in a strange place, meaning something not familiar with them, there's with a lot of them, there is this sort of like hesitation at first. And then if one of the children beckon, you know, come and join, then they'll come over. And then a little while into talking, it's really not uncommon for kids to ask, will you be my friend? <laughs> And of course, everybody hears that and they look at it and it's all like so 
sweet and tugs at the heartstrings. But when we consider there is a, a, a living being, a soul, stuck inside that little body and utterly identifying with that body and because of the age not having all of the barriers up and the, the guards put up, you know, just innocently and sweetly asking, will you be my friend? That desire for a friend actually runs very deep. And the experience of not really having the connection of, of a friend. I mean, it was quite, if, if you recall what I read out, that 51% um, of mothers who had young children reported feeling frequently or almost always lonely. And it's because, you know, with your children, when they're, when they're young, you have the protective motherly or fatherly instinct, but you don't really relate to the child as, as a friend. And so even though you may be taking care of children, I mean, it's actually a very common thing. I saw one of the, on one of the videos, I watched a woman in, in a town in Australia, you know, who felt when she had her first baby, she felt really, really isolated and really struggled. And then she later went on to start a, a like a mother's club where they would invite other women with young children and babies to, you know, form part of like a, just a group to get together and support each other. And that really sort of like lifted things for her. But the point is that, you know, a, a little tiny infant, a little tiny child cannot be your friend. And that desire for and that feeling of a need for a, fan, a friend is, is very, very strong. And when a person doesn't have friends, it can be actually quite devastating. I, I read a um, post, an online post of a mother who had a 21-year-old son. And the son was pretty much nonverbal for most of his life and had grown lonely after developing severe autoimmune, uh, auto I'm sorry, severe immune, immunodeficiency disorder that caused him to be homeschooled and isolated from other kids. David, who speaks only when prompted, gave his parents, Carrie and Robert, quite a surprise when he spontaneously asked them a question for the first time. And the question was, would somebody like me? You know, if we are not 
casual about things or flippant. We actually put ourselves in somebody's shoes that's having that experience where they feel that they're not actually likable or lovable, where they feel isolated like this. It's, it's a very heartbreaking ex- experience. And all too often, people can be very callous and, and hurtful. It's actually more common amongst children particularly, I think, in sort of like high school level where people can gang up on someone and bully them and isolate them to the point where it becomes so (coughs) tragically lonely for that person, they end up um, committing suicide. Unfortunately, that mentality, that tendency which is just a massive manifestation of immaturity and narcissistic self-centeredness where you can't even empathize and feel for another, has very much overflown now to the broader population. Social media has been incredibly destructive in this regard and has led to this deepening experience of isolation of people. I mean, people are already becoming increasingly isolated from each other. But then you have, you know, this cruelty of language where you tell somebody to go kill themselves. It's just like, you know, and, and the person who's on the receiving end become so utterly distressed. And what's incredibly sad is how people can do this and actually not feel any empathy. Um, A week and a half ago or so, or two weeks ago, somebody sent me a um, video link to a interview that um, Piers Morgan was doing. And I was going like, you know, okay, why am I going to watch this? And I, I saw when I clicked on it that he was interviewing this guy, Jordan Peterson, who is either much loved or much <laughs> hated, um, particularly by people that don't... <clears throat> agree with him ideologically. And in that interview, uh, Pierce was asking him or bringing up about, you know, how violently in terms of speech and ideas he is attacked for for the what he does. And 
they may he made mention of a couple of things and Jordan Peterson said it's sort of like he's learned to deal with it. It's one particular criticism that was leveled against him that was extremely hateful. He said once it reached that level, he thought it couldn't get any worse. But then Pierce Morgan brought up um, another person that had criticized him for being... um, offering support, supposedly, to a group of people that have been labeled as incel. So this incel, apparently, when you look at the um, definition, it's a member of an online subculture of people who define themselves as unable to get a romantic or sexual partner despite desiring one. And so in the criticism that this person had had leveled, that it was like, you know, this guy, Jordan Peterson, is just somebody that supports and deals with all these incels. And when Pierce Morgan brought it up, Jordan Peterson, you know, it was like, he was hit by something and he actually began to to tear up and of course the first thought in your mind is this kind of some kind of self pity you know that he's been attacked and he's it's affecting him and pierce asked him you know you seem to be taking this very um can't remember the word he used you know but you know it seemed to be really affecting you what is it about this that affects you and really tears welled up in his eyes and he said you know for want of a kind word people are killing themselves And why shouldn't I support people that are struggling this way? And it was like, whoa, it was really impactful and quite overwhelming to to see this response, a a very genuine response of feeling tremendous compassion and empathy for a particular group of people that, are isolated and feel very lonely and and cut off. And he, being a clinical psychologist, has done so much work with people that suffer from these different forms of isolation and and what it does to them. But it's kind of like, well, how can somebody level that type of criticism where you are trying to demean someone because they offer support to a community of people that are desperately lonely. It's kind of like, what's wrong with you that you could stoop to such a low level 
and be so cruel. This is kind of like an overflow uh, that you see in, you know, maybe the last couple of years of, of elementary school and then going into high school, how people can be really cruel and really isolate others. You know, we are, we are called upon to be compassionate. There is a wonderful verse in the Bhagavad Gita, in the sixth chapter, where Krishna, Lord Krishna, states that he is a perfect yogi who by comparison to his own self sees the true equality of all beings, both in their happiness and in their distress. You know, these are, these are things that, these are aspirational. We should hold these kind of statements to be aspirational statements that guide us in life so that we can try and become more caring. You know, here, the yogi, he sees the true equality of all beings um, by comparison to his own self. Yes, I also can, am, are capable of experiencing this as well. And that comparison is both in people's happiness and also their distress. You know, this, this excellence of character that we should all, all aspire for is, is so important, especially in the world in which we are living today. There is another verse in the Bhagavad Purana where it states the Supreme Soul is very satisfied with the transcendentalist when he greets other people with tolerance, mercy, friendship, and equality. So we have been called upon. We know that we would be a recipient of divine grace. We would be a recipient of spiritual enlightenment. If we can conduct ourselves with others in this way, to greet other people with tolerance, mercy, friendship, and equality. And when one behaves counter to this, then one is considered in spiritual terms to be very fallen and very unfortunate and their lives will be small and bitter. They will not know the peace that comes from true 
spiritual advancement. So in, in talking, you know, about the pain of isolation and loneliness, you know, a person may sometimes ask, well, what about like a hermit or a recluse? I mean, they seem to be able to handle isolation, that surely this is something that somebody is just inflicting upon themselves, this not being able to manage their life very well or not being able to just get on with things. If you look, and this is not necessarily true for all, I'm not saying it is true for all, but you will often find that many of the people that choose loneliness to live separate from others, they are doing it because there is often a massive burden that they are carrying within themselves. They may have experienced it with their own parents or family or, or society, they may have experienced great pain in their life, great heartbreak and suffering. And so when they choose to live in isolation, it's not that loneliness is not painful for them, but they feel that the pain that others can inflict upon me is even greater. And so I choose the lesser of the pain. And so they, they accept this um, isolation and, and loneliness, feeling some consolation there because of the you know, things that they may have experienced in their life. So that kind of brings us to the, you know, the discussion of why this loneliness exists and what did the transcendentalists do to combat it or to insulate themselves from it. So, you know, if, if you have any um, background with Eastern religion or uh, paths, uh, spiritual paths, you will see that this, there was this great tradition with the yogis where they often lived as, as loners they cut themselves off from society. And there were generally t two categories of, of these um, spiritual seekers who lived isolated from others, and they did it for somewhat different reasons. So the first category are the those who became very focused upon the experience. And, and many of you have probably heard of this, this merging into this ocean of spiritual light, the Brahma Jyoti, where someone becomes very 
focused on the impersonal feature of God or the highest truth. And many of the yogis that chose this path, they often saw the world as being a place of unbearable suffering. I mean, it was a pretty heavy weight. They have this word, samsara, and it describes this cycle of birth, repeated birth and death, and the transmigration through different species of life, where the soul is always in this state of imprisonment and being victimized by their bodies, by their minds, experiencing the pangs of birth and then um, old age, disease, and then finally death, and just going through it again and again. And with death, everything that you grew attached to in this lifetime and all the relationships that you had become shattered at the time of death. They, they, you are physically removed from all that you care about, all that you are attached to. And they saw this as being an unbearable form of pain. And why will I voluntarily participate in this endless cycle? And so they, they sought to, to get out of this. And they became this particular category of, of yogis. They became very much focused on you know, the idea of the, the impersonal feature of Godhead known as the Brahman or Brahma Jyoti. The problem is that even if they attained that state of liberation, the Vedas actually reveal that one cannot perpetually stay in that state that after an almost infinite period of time, the soul is again stimulated by the desire to act and to have relationship. So even in that state where they're experiencing this spiritual blissfulness, there is this stirring an undercurrent that then causes that person who has attained that, that state to fall from that condition and return once again to material life. The second category was a much larger category of yogis, the vast majority they um, would seek out a lonely and holy place, but it was for a, a different purpose. On the negative side of it, they desired not to associate with worldly-minded people and the worldly life that they considered trivial and distracting. 
But what they desired more than anything was transcendental communion with the supreme soul, with God. And they saw that in achieving that, one permanently overcomes loneliness. And so for a period of time where they committed to their yogic practice and the cultivation of this relationship with the Supreme Soul, it was a price that was to be paid for the the attaining a state of spiritual liberation where one is bound heart to heart with the Supreme Soul in a loving and friendly exchange. When, you know, some of the videos that I looked at, you know, you had different psychologists and social workers who were looking at all the different experiences of loneliness that people had. And you saw documentarians and people from news organizations interviewing people about their experience of loneliness. And different people would attribute different causes to their loneliness, like my wife has died or I've now retired and I don't really have any friends. I don't have anything that really interests me anymore. And I just am caught in this state of of loneliness. I mean, you you see it like this in in old age homes where people, even though they're with others, you know, you can, and it's not just in that condition, you can be in the midst of lots of people and be profoundly lonely. So the question is, what, what is this, what is the cause? What is the ultimate cause for this experience of of loneliness and it's because from the spiritual perspective because we are eternal spiritual beings temporarily residing within a body we have a spiritual nature we have if you wish a spiritual home we have an eternal relationship with the Supreme Soul from whom we have come. And that connection is an eternal connection. And it is not until, they say, until a person reestablishes that loving relationship with our eternal, the Lord of our heart, that one becomes completely immune to all experiences of loneliness. And it is because we have experienced separation from the Supreme Soul that we 
can feel lonely even in the midst of family and friends. We can be overwhelmingly lonely. So this bond of eternal kinship, and and the word kinship is interesting because it really indicates close and familial, you know, as a family member, a, a connection. So in the one of the great spiritual texts, the Brahma Samhita, they have a verse, part of it goes, sa nitya nitya sambandha. So sambandha means relationship or connection. And the English translation anyway of this verse is the same jiva, because it was speaking about the eternal soul, the same jiva, and the word jiva is a Sanskrit word indicating the living being, the individual soul. The same jiva is eternal and for all eternity and without beginning, joined to the Supreme Lord by the tie of an eternal kinship. He is transcendental spiritual potency. So this is a description of the nature of the soul and speaking about the eternal nature of the spiritual being. One of these characteristics is that we are eternally joined in a tie of eternal kinship with the Supreme Soul. And that is why we feel the desire for friendship, because it is part of our eternal spiritual nature, and we seek it within this world. But what we find is never as fulfilling or as perfect as what we actually desire. The a number of times I've quoted from a couple of the Upanishads, Mundaka Upanishad and the Swetasvatara Upanishad, where they use the same analogy, the same verse in both of these Upanishads, where they compare the living being residing within the body along with the Lord of our heart who resides with us within the same body as being like two birds in a tree, the tree being like the material body. And so in the verse it states, although the two birds are, the, are in the same tree, the eating bird, meaning the bird that's hopping from branch to branch just eating, in another place it's described, and the other one is simply standing waiting for that first bird to turn and recognize his eternal friend. So the eating bird is fully engrossed with anxiety and moroseness as the enjoyer of the fruits of the tree. But if in some way or other he turns his face to his friend, who is the Lord, and 
knows his glories, at once the suffering bird becomes free from all anxieties. So while we're talking, you know, the topic here is about loneliness specifically, I, I did give a, a talk on, on August 10 about on, on the topic of friendship and how we, I think it was called the need for a friend. And so I will post um, a link to that talk and you might want to take a look at it if you haven't seen it because it, it deals with this topic in a little bit more depth. So, you know, when we speak and they use this term, the yogis, the Lord of our heart, when we speak of the Lord of the heart, we're speaking of, of the perfect friend, the most perfect friend. In the Bhagavad Gita, addressing this, Sri Krishna states a person knowing me as the supreme Lord of all and the benefactor and well-wisher of all living entities attains peace from the, from the pangs of material miseries. So reestablishing this relationship, this transcendental relationship, this spiritual relationship, is actually the answer to all of our material pangs. In the Bhagavad Purana, <coughs> addressing this Lord of our heart, you are situated in everyone's heart as the supreme soul, just to show your causeless mercy, and you are the eternal well-wisher. And yet another quote, to serve the supreme soul is the most is most natural for the soul because he is the most beloved, the Lord of the soul and the well-wisher of all other living beings. So, in the process of yoga, those who follow this path, particularly the path of devotion, they may address the supreme soul as Krishna, which means the all attractive. And Lord Krishna is described as being the supreme friend. This friend that we have an actual connection with, but which we have forgotten. When we think of a friend, what is it that makes someone a friend? One of the many qualities, and I'll read something that my spiritual master stated, one of the many qualities of a friend is understanding. If you have a friend, 
and you go to that friend to explain a problem that you're having, to open your heart, you know that your friend will be understanding. He will not condemn you or misunderstand you. No matter what problem you're having, your friend will still love you. When we speak of Krishna, we are speaking of the perfect friend. When most people think of the absolute truth, the supreme person or God, unfortunately, they often think of a judge rather than a friend. So when they need a friend, instead of approaching God, as their dear most friend, they approach other people and try to open their hearts to them. The name Krishna means the all-attractive person. Krishna is the most beautiful, the most wise, the most compassionate, the wealthiest, the most powerful and the most renounced. When we speak of Krishna, we are speaking of the absolute truth, the supreme personality of Godhead, the cause of all causes, and the original person, Bhagavan. So loneliness will only be permanently erased when we do what is most natural for us, when we reconnect once again with the actual Lord of our heart, when we rekindle this lost connection that we have ignored. And it is because we have ignored it that we have this gnawing feeling within us where we're always looking for a friend and why we fear loneliness. Because we're not meant to be alone. Spiritually, we are meant to be eternally connected in a bond of ecstatic love and affection. And of course, as we know, the way in which we can reconnect with this Lord of our heart is through this process of meditation upon these spiritual sounds, these transcendental sounds. So I invite you to chant with me.
Thank you very, very much for joining us. Haribo.